Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hi, friends. Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here, and we have a fantastic episode for you today with Eric Richards a millennial digital nomad who retired early. Eric is also the host of Nomad on Fire podcast. And in this episode, you're going to learn how to retire early, even if you're a big spender or bad at math and budgeting. A few years ago, while experiencing severe burnout in his corporate job, Eric stumbled upon the concept of FIRE, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. And just a couple years later, he was able to do just that. He quit his job, retired early, and started traveling around the world full-time using the exact techniques that we'll be sharing with you today. You're going to find out the three most effective ways to save money fast and how to find balance in this crazy world we live in whether it's between your family and your job, your job and your side hustle, how you structure your day if you own your own business, and even how to balance ambition with happiness. There are so many gems of wisdom in this episode. We go deep on some existential questions, including how to figure out what you want in life, and then move on to more practical stuff like the best travel credit cards, and what the cost of living is in places like Bali and Medellin, Colombia, both digital nomad hotspots. But first, thank you to Johannes from Germany, who left a review on Apple Podcasts recently. He says, Kristen has so much experience living the location-independent life and working remotely, and so do her guests. Badass Digital Nomads is an amazing podcast with so much value to offer, and I recommend it to anyone who is interested in learning more about how to run your business online while traveling the world. Thank you, Johannes, and everyone who's out there supporting. And if you'd like to access the extended video version of this and other interviews, and lots more exclusive bonus content, then consider becoming a patron of the podcast for just $5 per month. You can join today at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. And I just want to give a big shout out to all of my current patrons, including Walt, Tech Lords, Sean, James, Richard, Fred, Lakshay, and also to my anonymous patrons and donors. Thank you all so much. And if you're ready to start traveling again, make sure to check out my video this week on Costa Rica reopening for tourism to citizens of 44 countries, including at least nine U.S. states. And you can find that over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash traveling with Kristen. And now on to the show. So welcome everyone to another episode of Badass Digital Nomads. And my guest today is Eric from Nomad on Fire podcast. So some of you guys might have heard of him, but some of you maybe not. 
So today we are going to talk all about how to retire early and live your best life at whatever age you want, because that's how we roll these days. So welcome, (laughs) Eric. Thank you, Kristen. I'm a big fan of the show. Super excited to be here. Where are you right now? Give us a little context as far as like, what's your quarantine status? What country are you in? I am currently in Savannah, Georgia, just kind of chilling here, laying low. Um, I was in Bali when COVID kind of really started to get bad and then just decided to return back to the U.S. I spent some time with family in Michigan, but yeah, now I'm just kind of laying low in Savannah. Oh, okay. So uh, do you regret that decision or are you good with it? <laughs> uh, I, I'm good. I'm good with it. It it worked out. I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think I might've made a few different decisions if I could go back and change it. But overall, it, it hasn't been too bad. I, I'm happy with it. I saw a really funny meme about Bali and it just said like, don't send help. Because <laughs> 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 I hear there's like, 70,000 foreigners there and everyone's like, we're good. We're stranded on this island. Although I do feel bad for the Balinese people that are suffering from the lack of tourism. But as from an expat digital nomad perspective, to be able to stay in Bali all year without having to leave for your visa or your passport and with no tourists seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah. Tropical paradise. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty awesome. I actually have a friend, Krista Romano from Christabella Travels. Was she on your podcast? Yeah, I had Krista on the podcast. I thought I saw her name. She was on mine like a year or so ago, but um, she's in, in Chengdu right now. And I was like, man, you really scored because I like I love Bali. I actually just did a video about Bali's reopening, which now they're not reopening this year. So that's even better for the people that are foreigners there because they get to stay longer. But One of the downsides of Bali, in my opinion, is just how crowded it is, like in a normal time of year. Like I've been there during Nyepi, which is their, um, what is their, that holiday? It's not their new year. Have you ever been there during that where they shut everything down? We were supposed to be there for that one, but then ended up because of COVID, like leaving right before Uh, it. I think it was like. The last week of March or something. But yeah, everything is like shut down. And they were telling us there was no our the guy at the guest house we were at was telling us there was no like power, no internet. I'm like, hmm, okay. Yeah. That could be interesting. I landed in Bali the night before one time and I didn't know that it was happening. And it's basically for I think it's like two days or something where they have no activity. It's kind of like the Sabbath, I would think, in mm-hmm. um, in Jewish culture. It's like no technology, no working, no lights. Yeah, nothing, no internet. And I was just basically quarantined at a hotel with a bunch of Australians, and we just hung out in the pool, and it was pretty cool. But I couldn't imagine that quarantine there would be kind of like a mix between normal daily life in Bali and Nyepi because it's not as locked down as Nyepi where no if you go outside you get like arrested but it's also yeah not like super crazy with like millions of tourists in Kuda and, and that kind of thing which can kind of like detract from some of the 
things that I like about Bali, but that's being very selfish because everyone should have a chance to go there and do, you know, go as a tourist or whatever they want. So where were you hanging out there before? I was in Changu. Yeah, like I, I loved it there. I think just, you know, the COVID information, like everything kind of escalated so quickly and the place that we were staying at, like didn't even have a kitchen. So just kind of like worst case scenario, we're like, oh, like if there's a food shortage or something, like what are we going to do if all the restaurants are closed or there's no food in the grocery store? So, I mean, a little bit of panic yeah, and kind of returning back to the, the US. But yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I'm sure we could have gotten an awesome deal on like a great villa. Um, the co- I love the co-working space that I was using there. The gym People always like laugh at me. They're like, your favorite thing about Bali was the gym. And I'm like, yeah. I never I went, to, went to the gym there. I went to Body Factory Bali. I'm not sure if you've uh-uh. heard of it or seen it, but they have this like recovery area, which is beautiful and just amazing. It has like a huge sauna. It has a cold pool. It has another cold pool. It has a hot tub and then like an infinity pool. So wow. it was just incredibly beautiful and just super relaxing. Like after every workout, I would literally just sit out there for like an hour and just alternate between the sauna and the cold bath. It it was, it was great. What was the membership fee there? I mean, it was definitely like, it wasn't cheap in terms of like, you know, geo arbitrage or cost savings. I want to say I paid maybe like 160 US for like the but that was for like the full membership which had some group classes and I thought the group classes were were pretty well done like a boot camp style uh workout and that included the recovery center it was it was less I think it was under 100 if you didn't get the recovery center but definitely worth it to to splurge for that yeah definitely that reminds me of the gyms in Bulgaria which people were like why are they so good? And it's because the gyms are massive, uh, best workout equipment, really big. And then they have a full spa. So you can access that after your workout. And I would just be hanging out there with, this was in Sofia, but they have really nice gyms around the whole country. And the spa culture, I didn't realize was so big in some other countries. And you just do your recovery from the workout, hanging out in the sauna, like talking to people in broken English. And and like I've been there in the summer and the winter and it's just beautiful. Like looking outside, you either see the trees and the forest or there's snow everywhere. And I'm like, man, this really beats World Gym or Planet Fitness <laughs> <laughs> any day. The like rush hour, go work out and run home, you know, get Postmates for dinner. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, and sure. what was your, I, uh, so I'm making a cost of living video on Bali and apparently it's more expensive than when I was there, but what was like your average monthly cost of living there? I think I spent right around 1800 when okay. I was there in Bali. So I stayed at a guest house. I split the cost of that with my girlfriend. So that was like extremely minimal. So I only paid like $400 for, I guess, rent, if you want to call it for the month. And then the other biggest expenses was the gym. I think the co-working space was right around a hundred dollars. Um, and then I rented, I mean, I rented a scooter that was only like 60 bucks, I think. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it was pretty, pretty cheap to go out to eat 
you know, I, I think meals were only like, I don't know, six or seven dollars at some of the places that we were going to. Okay. The one restaurant, oh, I forget I forget what it was called. I'll have to look it up. Um, but it was it was some like seafood platter or something. It was only 20 bucks and you literally got like four or five huge plates of seafood and it was delicious. Oh was my God. Awesome. So okay, that's not that much more because I think I was spending somewhere around it was like three dollars a day for my scooter in Bali for the month. And then my meals were between like one or two dollars, you know, for a plate of like nasi goreng, like rice and stuff. Or I think the most I paid was $15 for like a really nice meal with like ginger tea and dessert and stuff like that. So that seems about about the same. Uh, that's nice. I, I could go back to Bali maybe next year. We'll see how it goes. Um, and how many places have you let, let's talk a little bit about your backstory. How long have you been a nomad on fire and what are some of the places that you've lived in the past? Yeah. So I've been a nomad on fire since last July. I quit my uh, corporate job and just started traveling, living the digital nomad lifestyle. Um, I first started traveling with a program called Remote Year. So that was kind of my entry uh, kickoff to you know the digital nomad life. I really wanted to have that community kind of built in from the mm -hmm. beginning. So I didn't do a year-long program. I just did a four-month remote year in Latin America. So a month in Santiago, Chile, a month in Lima, Peru, uh, Medellin, Colombia, and then Mexico City with remote year. This was all fall of 2019. Then came back to the States for the holidays. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, I was in Southeast Asia. So most of the time I was in Chiang Mai, uh, did a few side trips to Vietnam, uh, Cambodia to see Angkor Wat. And then I was in Bali when kind of COVID started, mm -hmm. um, started getting really bad. So yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously COVID terrible situation, you know, all the way around, but it, it Definitely, I definitely had future travel plans, right? And it kind of put a a hard stop to that, which I mean, obviously, it did for for everyone. And yeah, yeah, it'll you know it'll be back in time. I just did a an article and a video coming out about and a podcast actually about like thirty five different places that Americans can travel to. I think it's up to forty now, and I'm still not in a hurry to travel just because everything's still kind of shut down. But mm -hmm. you know, there's there's so much, it's so much fun to travel. So I hope that we can do it. And it's such a big economic boost for countries all around the world. So I'm sure when it does come back, it'll be stronger than ever. And let's start with the, um, I want to hear about your time with remote year. Cause I have had a lot of friends do it and I almost joined their second trip, uh, back in like 2016 I th or 2015, I think it was because I was looking for a way to travel without having to plan my own travel because it's so time consuming. And then we did have the founder, Greg Kaplan, on the podcast to talk about that. So it seems like a cool um, project, but we'll talk about that in a second. But um, for people who don't know, which actually I'm pretty new to the FIRE method, uh, even though I've been living in a hybrid FIRE way for on and off throughout the years where I've been like semi-retired, but for people who are new to the FIRE method, what is it and what is the goal? 
Yeah, absolutely. So FIRE stands for financial independence, uh, retire early. So, I mean, basically you have enough savings and investments that you never have to work again. You have enough money to sustain you uh, for the rest of your life. And, you know, some of the audience listening today might be thinking like, oh yeah, if I had a bunch of money, yeah, I wouldn't have to work either. But I think the cool thing about the FIRE movement is it's based on what your spending rate is. So it's much, it could be much less money than, uh, you know, traditional retirement uh, financial advisors would recommend that you have. So traditionally it's based off of the 4% rule, uh, which Basically, the 4% rule is you can safely withdraw 4% from your portfolio every single year and then never run out of money. And that accounts for inflation. So you have enough money to last you in perpetuity, right? For the rest of your life. Um, To reach 4%, uh, the kind of rough math is you would need to save up 25 times your annual expenses. So if you live on $40,000 per year, US, you would need a uh, million dollars in savings and investments. And then you could withdraw 4% of a million is uh, $40,000 that you can live on that um, forever. That's kind of the more traditional approach of financial independence uh, that you have kind of that large nest egg of savings and investments. Then you sell off those like a little bit of your portfolio every year to kind of have the cash uh, to live for the year as the drawdown approach. Um, but there's some other ways that you can do it as well. So maybe you have some better cash flowing assets. So maybe you have some dividend stocks, right, that pay you um, on a quarterly basis uh, or real estate investments. Uh, a lot of people have achieved financial independence through real estate. I, I personally have gone a more traditional approach, uh, just investing in, in the stock market. Uh, but a lot of people have been really successful with real estate. Um, because it it cash flows a little bit better. So then instead of having like that large portfolio, you just you have the real estate investments that are giving you money every month enough to cover all of your expenses. Or it or you could achieve financial independence through business or any sort of passive income. And then the second part of the question, what's the goal with fire? I think it's it's very similar to like the digital nomad lifestyle. That's kind of why I had the have Nomad on Fire, the blog and the podcast, because I think there's so much uh, overlap between the two communities. And I think the goals are really the same, right? To really live life on your own terms, live a life with more freedom, excitement, uh, greater joy. So a lot of people, once they hit financial independence, choose to retire early. There's a, you know, a large amount of people that have retired like way before the traditional age of retirement, right? The traditional age of retirement is 65. There's a lot of people retiring in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So basically, they're able just to, to live life on their own terms. And then, you know, some people just retire, maybe stay wherever home is for them in the US. But then there are a lot of fire, fire nomads that have decided to, you know, retire early and then travel around, which I definitely am in that camp. Because I think it's so powerful with um, geo-arbitrage, right? There's lots of places in the world that the cost of living is significantly less than the United States. So whether you're on the path to financial independence or whether you're already retired early, your money is just going to go so much further 
but your quality of life, you know, is is not going to suffer that much. Right. Yeah. There's a lot you could do with that because so let's say if you want to make or if you want to live off a hundred thousand dollars a year, then that would be like two point five million. Like twenty is that right? I'm bad at math. Twenty five times your I'm also bad at math. Let me let me see. <laughs> Look, guys, you can retire early even if you're bad at math. I <laughs> Yeah, two point five million. Yeah, two point five million. Okay. So you have achieved um what is called lean fire, which is between five hundred thousand and a million in in net worth. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So- yeah, my my original goal was like somewhere over a million and I ended up not achieving that goal from a financial standpoint, but I was at the point in my life where um I was just really burnt out from a work-life balance perspective with my job and I knew that I needed to make a change now, mm-hmm. but even, you know, even having less than my original target, I had that kind of safety net that I had the confidence that I could quit my job and, and, you know, begin traveling around and live in digital nomad lifestyle. Right. So you, yeah, so you could invest in stocks, you could do housing, like, and then you could maintain your cost of living as it is, or you could do that geo arbitrage where you set your fire goal based off of whatever it is that you're living off of now. And then you move to a place that has a lower cost of living, but a higher quality of life. So it's like, for people listening, you know, I always compare like Southeast Asia to Japan. Like there have been months where I, my credit card's like 15 grand or something. And I'm like, I could live for a whole year in Thailand off of this. And it just makes me sad. <laughs> I'm like, why did I spend <laughs> that much money this month? Um, but, you know, that's part of the digital nomad lifestyle too is sometimes you don't want to live on a shoestring budget. Sometimes you just want to like ball out and stay in nice places and go to expensive places like Sydney and London and Tokyo and not care about money. So there's like these different types of experiences that you can have. Um, But that's cool. Like I haven't really looked into it that much because I guess my goal hasn't been to re- retire early, but I have I've always liked having what my friend Io says is fuck you money, which is like yeah. you don't have to work like you don't have to work and you don't have to work for anyone and you don't have to do what you don't want. And so I think by never having had a 9 to 5 job and always being able to generate an income from anywhere that allows me to choose all of the elements of my life, like where I live and what I'm doing during the day and um, what I'm doing for work. And a big misconception from people who want to either retire early or become nomadic and just like live really cheaply so they don't have to work being like that perpetual backpacker is that nine times out of 10, and that's not scientific, but that's my (laughs) estimate, you will get bored. Like I've met a lot of people that live off passive income, or I've also gone through phases where I wasn't working a lot and I had money coming in. You start to lose yourself. You start to lose your like sense of purpose. So when we think of retirement as like the end goal of life that you achieve at 65, 
maybe at 65, you like really don't want to work anymore because you're tired, but you're also old. So if you're retiring early, then you have more freedom, you have more options. But then that, for me, that means you get to choose how you spend your time. Like it's you get to choose what you do for work without having the pressure to like make a certain monthly salary to cover your bills. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, you actually bring up a great a great point. I think there's there's a good amount of debate in the fire community about the retire early part. And some people like to instead of the acronym being, you know, financial independence retire early, some people use like to use financial independence retirement elective. Um just because of of what you just said, right? Like human beings are are meant to be productive. They're meant to contribute something like you want to work on something, but have the freedom to choose what you work on, right? Something that you're passionate about, something that makes a positive impact on the world. So even if you save up, you know, half of your original number, right? Maybe you're only covering half of your expenses for the rest of of your life, but that gives you that cushion, you know, that you're confident that you could leave whatever job you're in now and then, you know, start your own business or start or take a, a lower paying job, but is more mission driven. Yeah. Yeah. And or artistic and not that you can't yeah. make money with your art, but let's say you want to take on a project that, you know, it could take you a few years to monetize it. You could, you know, set, treat it as a full time job, but you just know that you won't be able to make money off of it for a little while, but you can live off of this other income without going through all of your savings. That's because that's what I've done a few times is I've like saved up a bunch of money and then like spent my savings when I wasn't working and I could have just invested it better. Um, I, even though I have, I have some investments, but I've, I've mistimed a few things and like the stock market crash and such, but I have um, a duplex. That's an income property with my brother. And uh, I really wish we owned like 10 of them instead of one, because having rental income properties that you could use as Airbnbs, but you could also have long-term tenants in there. I mean, you get the equity, you get the cash flow, you get the ROI, like it's great. Um, But I'm interested more, and hopefully the listeners are too, about how you got started with the FIRE method, because you mentioned that you wanted to leave your corporate job. Can you tell us a bit about what your job was, how many years you were in it, and when did you start saving money when you were a full-time employee? Like, did you cut back on all of your expenses? Like, how long was it between the time where you found out about this concept and made the decision that you wanted that freedom and then when you were able to actually quit your job? Yeah, that's a yeah, great question. So I found out about financial independence in like the f- end of 2015. And kind of a funny story. I was just randomly scrolling through Facebook, which I probably would not recommend, you know, to any any of the listeners out there. But I came across this article. I had never heard of like the concept before. Like I had read the 4-hour work week um but had never heard of like early retirement, right? So I came across this article And it was like, oh, this couple retired in their early 30s and now they travel the world. And I'm like, I click on it, right? And I'm like, how did how did this happen? So they kind of talked about, oh, financial independence, retire early. And I'm like getting like 
interested, right? Like I'd never heard of this concept before. This this seems pretty cool. You're like it's and clickbait, ha- but it delivered. Yeah, it was click. It was a clickbaity title, but it it wasn't like a scam, right? It wasn't like MLM, like the stuff that they were talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, that's legit. Like that makes sense. And I I read their blog. Um, it was actually uh, Millennial Revolution, uh, Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution. I met them in Chiang Mai at the um, at the Nomad Summit, which which is pretty awesome. Oh, cool. So that that was cool. So the articles about them, I read, you know, a lot of articles on their blog, and they also mentioned Mr. Money Mustache. So Mr. Money Mustache is one of like the most popular financial independence uh, bloggers out there. So I just I went to the website and just started reading like all of all of the articles and kind of consuming all the information. So 2015, and this was like perfect timing because early 2016. I received a promotion at work and it was a pretty it was a pretty significant salary bump. So most people, right, would maybe inflate their lifestyle a, a little bit, right? If if you're making more money, maybe you'd buy a nicer car, maybe you'd buy a bigger house, you know, whatever it might be. But thankfully, having kind of like really dialed in all this financial independence information, like I was used to living on, you know, X amount of money. And just because my salary was higher, I just continued to live on X amount of money, right? So avoiding lifestyle inflation is like one of the most important things, I would say, for um, working towards and achieving financial independence. So all that extra money, you know, just went right into savings and investments. So like I maxed out my 401k with my employer. I started putting extra money. Uh, I used a robo-investor. I used Wealthfront. Uh, just cause you know, I, I don't, I'm sure I could do the research and pick individual stocks, but you know, it's probably not worth my time. So, and I'm, I'm pretty young. So I just put it as like the riskiest, um, you know, investment, uh, portfolio. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like, it doesn't bother me if, you know, there's some drops in the stock market, but you know, o- overall the, the trend is, is up. So it doesn't really matter to me if it's in, you know, very risky uh, investments. So avoiding lifestyle inflation is, is huge. So the, you want to focus on the big three, right? The big three are housing, transportation, and food. So I guess mm-hmm. just a few kind of actionable things I did there. I moved to a new city with a promotion. I moved to Austin um, and had a roommate. I lived with my brother. So having a roommate is a great way, right, to save money on on housing. Um, there's also house hacking, right? Where that's another way that you could do it. You know, you maybe um, buy a place and then rent out rooms or something to other people to help pay down the mortgage. That's another good way. Um, transportation. I had, you know, just a, a used 2011 Ford Fusion. It was fully paid off. And that's like, that's where you can really, you know, that can really help you financially, right? A lot of people like always, always have a car payment, but once it's, you know, once your car is paid off, you really want to hold on to that car because then all of that money that was going to the car payment can just go to savings and investments. Um, food is another big one. I mean, to be honest, I am not extremely frugal when it comes to food. Like sometimes I do like to go out uh, to dinners or have meals with friends. Uh, but I do try to meal prep and, and eat pretty healthy. So I might, you know, make like a pot roast and have that for, you know, a few meals for the week. 
Um, another thing, like I definitely utilize travel hacking. So I have, you know, a fair amount of credit cards to earn uh, rewards points, you know, to save money on travel. That's, that's a big thing. Um, as well. Oh, what? A, oh, another thing that I would, I would say is really important for me. I'm a natural, like I'm a natural spender. I'm not necessarily like an extremely frugal person. There's, there's a lot of people in the financial independence community that are extremely frugal, but I would classify myself as, you know, naturally a little bit spendy. So for me, one of the most important things was like just to automate those investments, right? So I automatically maxed out my 401k. That way I never see that money in my checking account. So I can't spend it. And then like Wealthfront or other savings and investments, it just automatically gets taken out, you know, once or twice a month. That way that money's like not sitting in my checking account. Cause if it's just sitting there, then I'm going to be extremely tempted to, uh, to use that money just to spend, you know, on random things that I don't need. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of background about financial independence. And then kind of with my job, I just, um, I was an operations manager. So I worked in like warehousing in logistics. I'd been doing that, uh, by the time I left for seven years. Um, and it was just, it just wasn't great from a work-life balance perspective. So it was really long days. You know, sometimes I would have like 12, 13 hour days. I had a long commute on top of that. Sometimes worked really odd shifts, like worked on the weekends, worked at nights. So in terms of like flexibility and work-life balance, this was like on the opposite end of the spectrum from like where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, then I just, you know, I had the savings and investments. I felt confident and just decided to leave my job and become a digital nomad, kind of retired early. So I went from, you know, very limited freedom to like on the totally opposite end of the spectrum of like maximum freedom. How would you say your happiness level changed between then and now? So de definitely, definitely happier. But I do, I think, want to add an important caveat there. I think sometimes, you know, I tend to be like this. I don't want to generalize for other people out there. But I think sometimes I tend to think like, oh, you know, I'll be happier in the future if I if I get this promotion at work or, oh, if I get to travel more, then I'll be happier. I think it is important to find that happiness along your journey. And not having a job doesn't fix everything, right? So when I quit my job, I was, I was like, I'm going to, you know, hang out with so many friends on remote year and have a blast. I'm also going to work out every single day and be in like super good shape. And I'm also going to work on my blog and podcast and like grow the audience. And it was challenging, right? I think sometimes I was like, oh, I don't have the time to do this because I'm tired from my job. But then like not having a job, you really have to, you really have to figure out what is important to you. You know, maybe some of it is I was just procrastinating and I was being lazy. And then that excuse of, oh, well, I'm busy with my job is taken away. So that it did take me a while to get into a good routine where I was, you know, happy and productive and be able to find a good balance between that. Yeah. There's another writer I know on Medium who has a job on purpose because when he quit his job to write full time, he was less productive because it's like that. Is it Parkinson's law? No, there's 
I always get I, that one. Yeah, Ma- I think it's Parkinson's. It, like that, that a task expands to fill the time that you give it and not having a structure for your day, especially if you're newly retired, which by the way, you know, like at first you just want to enjoy it and maybe not jump right into like working full time on your passion projects or your side hustle. Just be like, I am a person in the world who has freedom, who doesn't have to commute to work every day. Like, who am I? What do I like? What do I want to do with myself? Like, you know, like so many things. So it's good to have that space to get to know yourself, but then that can be a slippery slope between relaxation and and self-development and, you know, taking some time off versus like just being lazy or losing yourself because you've lost your your sense of purpose and you you're not really busy anymore because a lot of us use busyness as an excuse. And I actually would be the first to admit that I think I've used that as an excuse. I think I've used travel as an excuse. And so I've been forced to really take a close look at myself this year because I'm like, wait a second, I haven't traveled anywhere. And I usually spend about 500 hours a year on travel alone. That doesn't include like socializing and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So I'm like, I feel like I should have been more productive during this quarantine (laughs) because I have less to do and I'm not jet lagged and I'm not packing and unpacking. And so sometimes we have to look in the mirror and say, like, am I the source of the problem here? Am I really this busy? Do I really not have time? Am I really that tired? Or do I just lack clarity over what my goals are? You know, have I not broken this task into small enough pieces? Like there's so many other things, but you have to like diagnose it and that's for each person to do. So props to you for admitting that to yourself and to everybody um, because there is that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow sort of thing. And after having financial independence and location independence and being able to travel and do whatever you want, that doesn't magically solve all of the, the tribulations, you know, the trials and tribulations of life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about, it's about, I guess, keeping things in perspective. Um, and also like once you have it all, like what, what do you want? (laughs) I mean, I'm asking the audience, (laughs) but I'm also asking you and I'm also asking Mm -hmm. me, like when you have financial independence, when you have location independence, when you have, you know, your blog, your podcast, you're like working on things that you're, you're passionate about, you have a girlfriend, um, you know, it's like, you're like, okay, well, now I've checked off all of those boxes, but what else, you know, it's like, what else is there? You can help more people, you know, you can volunteer more, you can make more money. Like there's always more and more and more, but there's also, also, uh, there's also the human experience and like, unless you become enlightened, like you're always going to feel humanness, <laughs> human feelings. You're always going to feel <laughs> inadequate. You're always going to feel anx- anxious. Sometimes you're going to feel fear. You're going to feel uncertainty. You're going to feel love. You're going to feel joy. Like you're going to feel all of the feelings. So it's like coming to terms with, okay, like I've achieved all of these things really early in life compared to like what the linear thing is. So it's like, how do I enjoy that? And, you know, be content with what I have, but still not like just give up and be like, okay, I'm done. 
<laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It, it really makes it really makes you think about those like super deep existential questions, right? All about life. And I think like remote year was was a lot of fun. I think it just kind of took me a little bit of time to kind of figure out what I wanted. Cause I think naturally, like I I do like to work if it's working on things that I care about and that I'm passionate about. And I was kind of more skewed towards like having fun and socializing aspect. So then that, you know, I'm kind of, you know, type A, like maybe a little bit uptight. So I kind of had to be like, no, you know, you've been working really hard for a while. Like just have fun, hang out with your friends. And then um, like Southeast Asia, like at the beginning of this year, I did get into like a much better groove of really balancing like, okay, get up, work out, then go to co-working space for a few hours, be productive, work on the blog, work on the podcast, and then have that downtime, right? Like go out to dinner with friends or go on a hike or something and just like have that downtime or social time to to chill. Yeah. And um, would you classify yourself as an introvert or extrovert or ambivert or is it contextual on the situation? Definitely contextual on the situation. I mean, I think I'm more naturally an extrovert, but I do need, I think that I always get, I've always seen different definitions. I think the technical definition maybe that I've seen is that like you gain, if you're an extrovert, you gain energy from socializing with people. So I would, I would classify, classify myself as that. Like I definitely gain energy from interacting and socializing, but I absolutely like need alone time where I'm just like reading a book or watching Netflix, listening to podcasts, like chilling by myself. Yeah. Just to recharge. For sure. And um, what brought you to Savannah? Is it family or friends or girlfriend? Just hadn't seen this area of the country. So just wanted to check it out, spend some time here. A lot, oh, okay. of, um, a lot of stuff is like is open here more than what was open in Michigan. Are you there through the end of the year or what's next for you? Yeah, I think I'm going to, yeah, I should be here through the end of the year. And then next, I'm not sure, you know, I, I think it all kind of depends on, on COVID situation and if stuff starts to open back up, um, but say say there's a vaccine or COVID is like, you know, eradicated, say it's like perfect case scenario. And this is like relatively soon, say early next year. Um, I would love to go back to Colombia. I really liked Medellin. So I'd love to spend some more time there. There's still so many places I haven't been in Mexico. So I probably would spend some time in Mexico as well. And then I really have not spent pretty much any time in Europe. So I think after revisiting Colombia and Mexico, I would spend a lot of time in Europe. What were the things that you like about Colombia and Mexico as far as like the day-to-day lifestyle there as an expat? I, I like, I really liked Mexico City a lot too. I, I love, I love Mexican food and I love tacos. So there was no shortage of tacos, which, which is great. But I think Colombia... It's just I don't it's just kind of like a feeling that I got like every day was perfect weather, nice and sunny, like, you know, in the 80s, super green. Like I think Medellin is a beautiful city. It's just in like a valley. It's super lush, very green and then there's a lot of like high-rise red brick buildings, so it just looks really pretty. I had never seen a city 
that looked like it did. Um, the locals are very friendly. The El Poblado neighborhood is is very much a bubble, but it's it's very nice. Like there's really good um, restaurants and shopping. I don't know. It just the modern, like the um, apartment we were at was like very modern. Uh, yeah, I just great coffee. I don't know. I just loved it there. Really good coffee. Um, I have a lot of memories of being there, just like drinking coffee outside. And uh, for people who are aren't familiar with that area, Medellin, this was like the capital of the Colombian drug wars back in the day. Uh, what was that guy's name? Yeah, pa- yeah, Pablo, Pablo Escobar. Escobar. It used to have like the highest murder rate in the world, but it's it's not that dangerous anymore, but it's called the city of eternal spring because it has such nice weather year round. And it's really like, it's that temperature where you walk outside and you're just like, I'm not sweating and I'm not cold. I'm just perfect. Like, ah, oh, it's so, it's so nice there. So if you, if anyone's into good food, good coffee and good weather, then check that out. And what were your, uh, monthly living expenses there? Uh, with that lifestyle? So remote year, I definitely spent a lot more than I did say in Southeast Asia. So maybe like between, I I think I spent between like 3,500 and four grand that month. So I did do remote year with my partner. So there is a couple's discount. Um, Mm -hmm. So I saved a little bit of money um, there, but like I, I have an article on on my site where I kind of give a remote year review and like really talk about my experience in depth and talk about some of the costs. It was definitely like pricey and kind of more than, you know, I wanted to spend within my budget when I was on it, but it was extremely worth it in terms of having the community and just, you know, the people that you're traveling with and doing side trips and, you know, there's always something going on, some sort of social event or party or somebody's birthday. So just having that community was worth the cost for me personally. And then especially like after the pro after the four months, like if you go through a remote year program, you become a citizen or like basically an alumni of it. And I feel like that's when it's really worth it. So after remote year, become a citizen, like basically an alumni at, you have access to remote your Slack community, which is like lifetime access, right? So that's like primo. There's like 3,000 people, I think, in this Slack group. So travel questions, business connections, like podcast guests, any like that's a great network. And then one of my favorite things is you can also kind of like piecemeal and like pick and choose like a la carte what you want to pay for if it's a remote your city. So Chiang Mai, for example is a remote your city. So my girlfriend and I travel there on our own and just paid to do like remote year events. Social and use stuff. The, yeah, in the co-working space uh, with the group that was there in February. But then like we found our own place on Airbnb. So it was, it was so much cheaper in terms of housing and total cost, but we still had like immediately had, you know, 25 friends to hang out with. Yeah, I remember when I was looking at it when it first came out back in like 2015, but I thought I'm not going to spend like it was for the one year program because they didn't have the short term ones. 
And I'm like, uh, they're going to all the places where it costs like $500 a month to live there and they're charging like 3000 So they're, <laughs> you know, they have to make a business, you know, make a profit. Right. But I was like, I, you know, Slovenia, Bolivia, like all these super affordable places, Argentina, I was like, I can travel there on like half the cost, but then you don't get that community. But now there's so many ways um, to meet other people. But I still think that there's like a time and place for co-living if people are considering remote year, like we can link to it in the show notes and maybe you can do a two week or a one month program. I don't know what the minimum is to become a citizen, but Matt Bowles, um, of the Maverick show, he's talked about how becoming a citizen of remote year and having access to that alumni network has been really worth it for him. And I think he did the one year program and like, to be honest, I don't even know if I want to travel with anyone, even my future husband for a whole year. But, <laughs> but you know, I don't know if I want to travel with that many people for a year, but I think it would be cool to do like a couple months and then um, get that like social experience and then, you know, get to be friends with all those people forever and get to go back to destinations that you like and plug into that community but the cool thing about this time that we're living in now is there's like unlimited communities of people and you can even start your own. Um, so everyone's going remote now and I think it's just going to be normal. So you won't have to explain where you live anymore or really what you do or it's just going to be like, yeah, people get it. Yeah, you're remote right now or you're whatever, you're a nomad. Because before people were like looking at you like you had three eyes. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so before you go, I would love to know what is a travel hack that you've learned in all of this nomading on fire and credit card points hacking and things like that. What is a tip that you have for people that are looking to save money on their travel and also, where can people get more information about how to get started with this FIRE lifestyle? Money-saving travel tip, I would say definitely look into travel hacking, look into credit card rewards. As long as you are you know, responsible in terms of paying off your balance every time with credit cards, it's totally legit. When I first heard about travel hacking, I was kind of like, is this legal. This seems kind of scammy. I'm not sure what this is. It's totally legit. My credit score is like way higher than it was. And I have a bunch of travel points. Um, you know, follow like the points guy or something is a great website. I think that's one of the most popular ones. There's different deals, right? Credit cards will run different promotions and they might only last for like a few months. So I would say, keep an eye out for those. How many and do you some have? Credit cards? Yeah. Uh, maybe like 15 or 16, I think. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a lot. How many do you have? Like four or five. Yeah. It's kind of, it's yeah, maybe a little, it's a lot, but there's, there's people that are like way more into it than me. So you can kind of go, it's one of those things you can kind of go down the rabbit hole, but it is super, super helpful. Like flew to Santiago, Chile from Texas for free. I flew on American points. Same thing. I flew from the US to Chiang Mai at the beginning of the year. No cash out of pocket, totally on points. Um, every once in a while, uh, American will have some good credit cards. I, I got one 
I think with Barclays uh, a few years ago. And literally, all you had to do is make one transaction on the card. Usually, you have to meet the minimum spending bonus. It's maybe like three grand or something. And once you meet that spending, then you get the like intro kind of bonus points. But this one, you only had to buy one thing on the credit card and you got 60,000 American points. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So that was, that was pretty sweet. I think, uh, I forget, I forget how expensive international flights are on American, but I want to say a lot of them are maybe only like 35,000 points. So that was like, you know, an international flight right there and, you know, some leftover points. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like I have a good credit score, but I've never needed a good credit score for anything because if you live a nomadic lifestyle or if you need, if you lead a fire lifestyle, like who cares if you have bad credit, even if you're opening and closing a lot of credit cards, unless you're using your credit to get loans, like traditional loans, if you're buying a house, it doesn't even matter if you have like a really good score. If you don't have a car and you don't have a house and you're just like living in other countries, like, yeah, I've had this stellar credit score my whole life, but like, what has it gotten me? <laughs> Where right. has it gotten me? Like, <laughs> I guess if I had a more traditional lifestyle, then it would, I would need it. But yeah. So yeah, if you guys are interested in travel hacking, like go for it, go check it out. Be fiscally responsible, I guess. But not every country even has credit scores the same way that we have them right. in the U.S. So this is just like another invention of our economy that we have to like manage as adults <laughs> <laughs> or we think we have to. So do, do you um, do you miss living in Austin or are you happy with your with your new situation? I'm happy with I'm happy with my new situation. Austin, Texas is a great city. If you're in the US, I'm pretty sure it's like been the fastest growing city for the last like, I don't know, 10 years in a row, probably. It's just absolutely exploded. When I I think when I first moved there, I was like, I was like, right, had a beautiful view of downtown. And I was like, this is amazing. This is like the coolest place. Um, I think after a while, the downsides started to hit me a little bit. I was like, ah, it's pretty expensive here. The traffic is pretty bad. Um, but Austin, Texas is still a great place. Lots of good food. Um, and I can always go back and visit. So yeah, yeah happy with the decision. Yeah, that's true. I go and visit. My cousin lives there and nice. um, I've been, I have some friends there. So I don't think I'd want to live there full time, but I like to dip in and out like once a year and hang out for a while. I don't think I could survive. It's too much partying. I like, I can't hang. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one yeah. week a year, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then people can find you at nomadonfire.com and your podcast, Nomad on Fire and anything else? Uh, no. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Nomad on Fire on all the social media channels. Check out the website, check out the podcast. I'm probably most active on Instagram. So yeah, send me a message. Cool. And then everybody keep your ear out because I'm going to get on uh, Eric's podcast next. So you're going to get the other side of this conversation. <laughs> so thanks, for Eric. Sure. Talk to you soon. Yeah, Kristen, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and remember to leave a review for the podcast wherever you listen and share this episode with someone you think it might help. 
And to further support the podcast, plus get tons of access to exclusive behind the scenes content, consider becoming a Patreon patron. For just $5 per month, you can enjoy early access to preview my YouTube videos, get exclusive patron-only posts and personal updates that I only share on Patreon, join my private monthly live streams and live Q&As, and get behind-the-scenes access to private, unlisted live podcast interviews or Zoom video recordings that are only available to my patrons. You also get the ability to vote on upcoming videos and podcast guests and can submit your questions for our guests directly. You'll also get discounts on merch and swag and many more surprises on deck throughout the year. And again, you can become a patron for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash traveling with Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N. And thank you for your support.